We're drawing near to the end of the book of Genesis, of course, in chapter 47 of 50. And we're also drawing near to what has become a little mini-series on the narrative of Joseph and his brothers. We've been considering this section of Genesis uh, for the last while, the last couple of months, the last few months. And by way of review, we've seen that this narrative of Joseph very, very closely parallels the narrative of Christ Jesus himself. And that can be no accident. The hermeneutics of the apostles encourage us actually to see the Old Testament as speaking of Christ. What other hermeneutics would be used but that of the apostles? What other principles of biblical interpretation? It seems here what we have is an instance of typology where certain things in the Old Testament point forward to our our real events in and of themselves, real people, real situations, real institutions in and of themselves, but they also point forward to and signify something else that's coming later, like the lambs. They are real things in themselves, but they were also types of a greater lamb who was to come. Or the very institution of kings. They all point forward to a king who is to come, and so on and so forth. It seems here that this is an instance of typology and that Joseph represents to us in typological fashion one who will come. A brother who is appointed to rule over his other brothers. Genesis 37, Joseph has dreams that all of his brothers will bow down before him. And so, Christ Jesus has been appointed to rule over us. God is, has made Christ Jesus like his brothers in every respect and yet without sin in order to bring many sons to glory. Jesus is called a brother to us in Scripture. He's appointed to rule and reign over us. Joseph goes on an errand for the well-being of his brothers. He comes on a benevolent mission to them, and likewise Christ has come on a benevolent mission to us. And yet just as Joseph was rejected by his brothers, cast down in a pit to die, and then eventually they decided that wouldn't profit them enough and so they should sell him as a slave. Joseph goes down to what he calls the pit, Potiphar's house, first of all, and then jail. So Christ Jesus was rejected when he came on a benevolent mission to us. But as Joseph was raised up from the pit and exalted to a throne, so Christ Jesus has been raised up from the pit and exalted to a throne. Now, It is to this exalted brother that Joseph's brothers must appeal for forgiveness and for the provision that they need to sustain their lives. So it is now to our exalted brother that we must appeal for forgiveness of our sins and for the provision that we need to sustain our lives. Just as Joseph went before them to prepare a place for them that where he is there they may be also, so Christ Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is there we may be also. The similarities are too too many, too striking, too intentional to be coincidence. And so 
This is what we've seen over the last few months in greater depth. Tonight we see the end result of Joseph's rule and reign over the people of Egypt and over his family. Blessedness. Joseph's family had to trust Joseph's benevolence and his wisdom with respect to his invitation to come to Egypt. Look at Genesis chapter 46, verses 5 and 6. Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him. All of them went. All their possessions went with them. Was Joseph sincere? Did he mean well? Of course, Joseph's brothers knew full well what had happened years earlier. Joseph had said that he was going to treat them kindly, provide for them. But they, they had to believe that. They had to believe that he was sincere and not just faking it. That he wasn't just trying to get them to bring not only themselves, but all of their relatives so that he could wipe them off the face of the earth and get revenge for what had happened so many years earlier. I don't know how clear Jacob was on what had happened many years earlier. That would have been an awkward conversation. What? My son is alive? I thought you said he was torn up by beasts. Well, we actually sold him into slavery in Egypt. I don't know, I don't know what transpired between Joseph's brothers and Jacob. But Jacob may have known something of it, something of what had happened. Jacob still had to believe, though, that Joseph was sincere in bringing them, that he meant to do them well, that there was love in his heart towards them. They were very vulnerable, of course. Even this band of 70 relatives and their wagons and their possessions would be no match, of course, for the armies of Egypt. So they were very vulnerable to go. It'd be like flying to another country to take a new job and you get off the plane and you're just hoping that your employer is sincere, that the terms of the employment are what they appear to be and so on and so forth. Otherwise, you're in a really bad spot. So they would have to trust his benevolence. And then they would have to trust his wisdom. Even if Joseph was the vizier of Egypt, did he have the support of the Pharaoh? Did he have the support of the rest of the Egyptians? The goodwill of the Egyptians to, to welcome them? Again, you imagine if a friend of yours says, yeah, come live with me and my family. And you say, but is it okay with your family? And yeah, 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 it'll be fine, come. Come live with us, we'll take care of you. But do you want me to pay rent? No, 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 you can eat our food. And we'll pay all the bills. You just come live with us. They may, your friend may mean well. There may be benevolence, but there may not be wisdom there. 
They might not have taken into account the feelings of their family and so on and so forth. Here, Joseph has invited all these people to Egypt. Will the Egyptians accept them? Will Pharaoh accept this decision? Joseph's family had to trust Joseph's benevolence and wisdom with respect to his invitation to come to Egypt. Likewise, the people of Egypt had to trust Joseph's benevolence and wisdom with respect to his governance of the land during the famine. And I stress the word they had to because they had no choice. Joseph's family hypothetically could have said, no, no, we're good in Canaan. We'll stay there. And they could have tried to make their way. But the people of Egypt had no choice. They literally had no choice. There was no food in all the land. Verse 13. And yet there was food stored up in the storehouses of Pharaoh. And so Joseph first sells them grain for their cash. When their cash is gone, again, they're up against the wall. They literally have no choice. They have to sell their livestock. And then when their livestock is gone, they sell their land and essentially their autonomy to work the land for Pharaoh. They literally had no choice. The people of Egypt had to trust Joseph's benevolence and wisdom with respect to his governance of the land during the famine. And it cost them everything. So Joseph's family had to trust Joseph's benevolence and wisdom. And the people of Egypt had to trust Joseph's benevolence and wisdom. Both could have been apprehensive about how it would work out for them to be so dependent on Joseph. You understand that Jacob and his family would have been basically utterly dependent on Joseph. Joseph was the hinge of everything. If Joseph comes through for us like he says he will, we'll be okay. If he doesn't, we're going to be in a really bad spot. The people of Egypt were in the same position. If Joseph comes through for us the way he says he's going to, we'll be all right. If not, we're going to be in a bad spot. My family had a young man from Korea live with us for about a year, a number of years ago. I don't know how old I was at the time, maybe 15 or something. And his name was Danny. And at that time, I was into, I'm, I'm hearing the mutterings. His Korean name was Dayoung, but his, his anglicized name was Danny. And Danny came to live with us. And at that time, I used to like to play uh, poker with some plastic chips from the dollar store. And I'd play with my little brother. I'd play with my dad. I'd play with anyone I could talk into playing with me. I used to love to play. So me and my brother, my dad, and Danny, we would play poker together. And Danny's favorite thing to do was to take all of his chips, look at his cards, look at everybody. Holy! 
to see Jacob and his extended family. And the people of Egypt were not purchasing a mutual fund. They didn't have a diversified portfolio. They didn't have a few eggs in this basket and a few eggs in that basket and so on and so forth. They were holy. (laughs) This was an all-in bet. This would be sink or swim. This would be win or lose. Going all-in on Joseph would either pay off well or it would cost them dearly. And in the end, it turns out well, doesn't it? In the end, for Jacob and his children, the children of Israel, for the Egyptians, in the end, it turns out well. We learn from this narrative that it is a safe bet to give up everything at the behest of a wise and benevolent king. It turned out well for the Egyptians. Look at verse 25. And they said, you have saved our lives. You have saved our lives. They recognized that this man was a savior to them. That without his wise and benevolent policies, they would be dead. Better better to be broke or bred than dead. It turned out well for the children of Israel. Look at verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. It seems here that the children of Israel were on a similar system as the priests of Pharaoh. Look at verse 22. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. The priests didn't need to sell because they had an allotment from Pharaoh of food, so they weren't destitute the way that the rest of the country was. If you look back to chapter 47 and verse 12, it says, Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. So it seems that they were on the same system as the priests, so they didn't need to sell their land. And so they actually fared very well during the famine. They gained possessions during this time under the rule of this wise and benevolent king. But it turned out well. The point isn't really comparison between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. The point is that it turned out well for all. That this wise and benevolent ruler, he wasn't technically a king. He was the vizier of Egypt, second in command. But for all intents and purposes, let's call him a king. He typifies a king. He typifies the king, Christ Jesus whom God has appointed to rule over his brothers, to rule over a kingdom that will know no end. And it will turn out well for Christians who go all in on Jesus, just as it turned out well for the Egyptians 
who went all in on Joseph. And for the children of Israel, who went all in on Joseph. Our brother read for us earlier in the service this passage. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not receive many more, many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. It's going to turn out well for Christians who go all in on Jesus. Who make Jesus the hinge on which everything turns. The way that the Egyptians had to make Joseph the hinge on which everything turns. The way the children of Israel had to make Joseph the hinge on which everything turns. Those who make Jesus the hinge upon which everything turns will not be disappointed. Our ultimate situation will be blessedness. Sometimes we are like the children of Israel. We bring everything to Jesus, and yet he lets us keep it. He cares for us tenderly and doesn't require everything from us in actuality, only in principle. You see, you have to be ready to give up everything to follow Jesus. Many times he says, as much as our brother also read for us earlier in the service, whoever would come after me must take up his cross daily, deny himself, follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loves his mother, father, more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You understand you have to be ready to give up everything in principle to follow Jesus. But you know what happens is that sometimes Jesus doesn't make you give up your family. And you go through life in a reasonably healthy family that loves you and cares for you, accepts you. Perhaps they've even come to Christ too. And you get to journey together. All the way to glory. You have to be ready to lose all your money for Jesus. You can't say, I'll come to Jesus as long as it doesn't cost too much financially. You have to be ready in principle to give up everything. But sometimes Jesus doesn't make you give it all up. You have to be ready to give up any relationship any priority, any dream. You can't say, well, I'll follow Jesus as long as he lets me attain a state of self-actualization. As long as he doesn't mess with my self-image. As long as I can still travel where I want to travel and do the things I want to do and fulfill all my plans. As long as I can still chase a white picket fence kind of lifestyle. I'll follow Jesus. You have to be ready to give up, in principle, anything and everything. You can't come to Jesus while you're holding on tightly to something else. 
we often quote that old hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And the sense of those lyrics is there's nothing else, no other basis upon which we might be justified but the cross of Christ. But we could put a spin on that. Say, nothing in my hands I bring in terms of I'm not hanging on to anything else. I can't, I'm not going to have one foot in and one foot out. There was an experiment that some people did a number of years ago. I don't remember the details of it, and I didn't bother to look it up because it was really simple. These monkeys had to reach in to get something inside a little jar, but when they closed their fists, they weren't able to get their hand out. And the only way for them to let go, or the only way for them to get their hand out was to let go. I don't even remember the results of the study or anything. It's just a funny image. But that's the way it is. You can't you can't come to Jesus without letting go. You can't get your hand out without letting go of what it is you're holding on to. But sometimes we're like the children of Israel. We're prepared to give up everything in principle. We take him at his word, whatever it may cost us, we're going. Just as the children of Israel did. For better or worse, our fortunes are tied to Joseph and Joseph's promises. Whatever that may bring, we're in. We're all in. And yet, we see that they were allowed to maintain their possessions. In fact, they gained possessions during the time of the famine in Egypt. Sometimes, however, we are like the Egyptians. Christ the King requires everything of us. In actuality. And not just in principle. Sometimes Christ brings us to the point where we have to let go of our hopes and our dreams. And we come to a fork in the road and we have to decide between our hopes and our dreams and the call of discipleship. Sometimes he brings us to that fork in the road where we have to decide between financial stability and the call of discipleship. Sometimes he brings us to that fork in the road where we have to decide between career and the path of discipleship. Sometimes he brings us to the fork in the road where we have to decide between family and the path of discipleship. Peace and harmony in our relationships or the path of discipleship. Whatever it may be, sometimes Christ the King does require of us in actuality and not just in principle. Everything. Christ the King requires of us one thing and we give it and we think, I hope he will require no more. But as these people spent all their cash and then had to come and stand again before Joseph and he said, now your livestock. And they had to give up even more. And then 
in due time they had to come again Joseph says now you're land now you're autonomy now I own your money your livestock your land and even your servitude you have nothing left it's all mine so sometimes Christ deals with us that way in certain instances with certain people Christ requires more than the average in certain instances with certain people Christ requires one thing after another after another and those people might think I have nothing more to give and yet Christ requires more he takes us in one sense down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to the bottom of ourselves until we have given everything for Christ for some it costs literally even their lives we think of the martyrs of old you may have read Fox's book of martyrs if not it's not copyrighted it's public domain you can find it online I think some of the stories are probably a little bit hagiographic and exaggerated but there's much in there that's edifying to the soul as you look at how the saints of old have suffered and have remained steadfast under persecution and even given their lives paying the ultimate price for Christ Jesus and I hope you realize there are martyrs today there are people in this world facing death right now because of the call of Christ we ought to remember the persecuted church in our prayers we try to pray for them publicly from the pulpit on a regular basis I encourage you also in your day to day devotions to remember those who are in chains as the scripture says there are many whom Christ is dealing with as Joseph dealt here with the Egyptians he's requiring everything from them in actuality and not just in principle every christian has to be ready to give up everything in principle that's the very nature of being a christian but sometimes Christ our king doesn't require of us in actuality he lets us keep our family he lets us keep our financial stability so forth as Joseph did for the children of Israel here but sometimes Christ the king requires everything of us in actuality and not just in principle as Joseph did to the Egyptians here in this passage whatever the actual cost of following Jesus resolve in your mind that you are going to be willing to pay it when the time comes 
resolving your mind in principle to lose everything else at the behest of this wise and benevolent king. The people of Egypt would have been foolish to say, no, 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 our livestock is too much. No, 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 our land is too much. They wouldn't have made it through the famine, you know? It would have turned out worse for them in the end to try to hang on to something. The children of Israel would have been foolish to say, no, we can't be that dependent upon Joseph. We can't put all our eggs in that basket. You need to see in this passage that it turned out well for the children of Israel and it turned out well for the people of Egypt to be utterly dependent on Joseph. It turned out well for both groups to lay all on the line that Joseph, the wise and benevolent king, vizier of Egypt, was going to be able to take care of them, that he was benevolent, that he meant well, that he was sincere, and that he was wise, and that he was going to see them through. It turned out well for that. And it will turn out well for those who go all in on that king whom Joseph typifies, Christ Jesus. Like Joseph, Christ Jesus requires us to trust him, to come to him, to be utterly dependent upon him. For some of us, he may literally take everything and require in actuality everything. For others, he may not. But whatever the cost, whatever the actual cost, of following Jesus, resolve to pay it. Even if you give up everything for Christ in actuality and not just in principle, you won't lose. It's a safe bet to give up everything at the behest of a wise and benevolent king. So go holy, all in on Jesus.